Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Welcome back, lovely listeners, to the hottest Marvel Horror Podcast around. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tomb of Ideas, and as I'm sure you know at this point, my name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And ladies and gentlemen, we are just going to go right into it, guys, with one of the, our newest and perhaps most popular segments here on the show, Hellstorm Watch. <laughs> All right, guys, as of this recording... Let's let's check the uh, the Marvel Horror Pewtertron here. I'm keying in our current information and ding ding ding, guys. As of right now, Hellstrom the series is still happening. Surprisingly enough, which you know, some of the other work we've word we've gotten this week is really surprising. Yeah, like I if you had asked me to like bet on which of the Marvel television properties would be the one that's still standing, I would not have predicted the still early in production Hellstrom series. Yeah, uh, because we it was just announced, I think either this week or last, that Runaways is coming to an end. Right, right. That, uh, which we, we kind of saw coming. Um, if for a reason, then it was a lingering Marvel television production the shows that it was crossing over with were also canceled. Um, and now, was that one on Freeform or Hulu? Hulu. Cloak and Dagger was Freeform. Right, but they're crossing over in Runaway's final season. That's what it is. Yeah, and, and which Hulu, of course, now is a Disney company. Like, Hulu is... is uh, Disney has a majority share in, in Hulu now. But... Uh, I, I think they are planning to do some restructuring and rebranding of exactly what content Hulu carries. And uh, also, uh, while we're talking about streaming stuff, Disney Plus has finally launched. Right, and um, you've been nice enough to let me use your account, and by right. nice enough, I mean you leave it on and I watch it while you're doing other stuff. Right. And none of the Marvel shows that have been announced are there yet. They are all still in various stages of production. However, uh, what we do have are literal decades of previous Marvel programming, and some of them are related. Like, one of the first things I did upon signing into the service was I pulled up uh, some thematically appropriate episodes of Marvel Animation, such as the introduction of Michael Morbius on Spider-Man the Animated Series... Um, you know, the ones where he has the creepy suckers in his hands and he craves plasma. God, so creepy. It's it's even worse than regular vampire. It, it, like he look it, it almost looks Lovecraftian or something. Like he doesn't even have to he doesn't even have to bite, you just like, nope, grab ya. Yeah, and like just the idea of, of the, the visual of him like putting his hands on your face, it's creepy. Yep, the little sucker marks. Yep. Um but anyway, I checked that out. Also, uh 
Ultimate Spider-Man, the more recent cartoon, has some really great uh, horror-tinged crossovers, uh, including one that features both Blade and uh, a group that are referred to as the Howling Commandos, um, that they're uh, Man-Thing, Monster of Frankenstein, Inkontu, the Living Mummy, and am I leaving anyone out? Um, not off my the top of my memory. But anyway, uh, oh, and um, um, Werewolf by Night. Oh yeah, voice by the guy from like Austin Alley or something. Yeah, the the voice of Werewolf by Night's a little weird, but other than that, kind of a fun uh, crossover. I'm not the biggest Ultimate Spider-Man fan. That cartoon is not my favorite version of Spider-Man, but I do enjoy the way the monsters showed up. They're they're like. Black Ops Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They have a special transport called the Monster Truck, which has giant bat wings. It's pretty cool. I did also watch the pilot episode of the animated Spider-Woman series. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, the, the original that came before there was a Spider-Woman comic? Yeah. That exists solely so that they could own the, the name Spider-Woman? How's that? It is wild. Oh. Um, so, Spider-Man shows up, because of course he does. Okay. Um, but the villains in that first episode are space mummies from outer space who fly spaceships that look like pyramids, and they shoot rays that turn people into mummy slaves. Oh, so Thursday. Sure. But yeah, no, it's got, it's got space mummies. That is a little bit odd. Like, that's how they launched that series. It is crazy. Um, and now I really want to watch some more of it, because I wonder how how how, uh, how long they can keep that kind of crazy going. Um, yeah. I mean, damn it, I want to go watch it. Right? Yeah, really. But anyway, I, I figured I'd bring it up because, you know, Space Mummies. That's almost related, right? Almost. <laughs> But speaking of Disney streaming shows, and I think this is what everybody's talking about right now, to the point where, um, well, I guess I'll do the big announcement, Trey, since I don't know if you wanted to or not. Um, guys, this is going to be the last episode of Tomb of Ideas. Right. Um, we are just, we decided that going forward, we're going to be a Baby Yoda podcast. Right. Yeah, and we, we this isn't an easy decision. It is something that we thought long and hard about. Right. Um, we haven't settled on a title yet. Uh, we're thinking maybe Froggy Snack Time. Mm. Or um, Cute He Is. Mm. You know, I, we talked about this all year, but I'm not really sure I want to go with the whole, you know, Yoda vocal pattern. Because, you know, we don't know if this species even talks like that. For all we know, Yoda had a stroke at some point. Right. Sure. Yaddle never True. spoke. So... We're 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 still we're we're still workshopping it, guys. Uh, we'll let you know, um, but just so you know, uh, yeah, that's ha- that's that's something. Don't worry, guys. It's not really happening. However, the Mandalorian is awesome, and the the little baby Yoda child is is just adorably cute, and y- you can't help but love him. No, and apparently we're getting tons of merchandise this Christmas. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the t-shirts have already started showing up on the internet. Um, which of those are the easiest to mass-produce and, and get out there? Um, although it's interesting, they, they're really leaning into the child as the designation. They're totally rejecting Baby Yoda, which is what 
fans have come to know the, the supposedly the now this could be disney bullshit because you know they love crafting their own little narrative they were taken surprised by how excited people got about this character hmm well I, that may be their line John Favreau says that he specifically asked them to hold back on anything related to that character until after the series okay. dropped. He he says that he wanted to get at least a few episodes in before anything with the picture of that character was available. Okay. Um, because the show is dropping weekly and he wanted to keep building buzz and he knew that that sort of shock reveal at the end of the first episode would build huge buzz for the next episode. By the way, guys spoilers for episode one of the mandalorian right i mean at this point if you're on social media you've seen well you might not have seen a gif of it because disney has been pulling people's gifts through copyright claims although apparently they're back again yeah well you know um i figured that couldn't last no they they kind of have been like oh this free advertising for our show is good for us right good. right um but yeah, Mandalorian is fantastic. It, it's not, I mean, it's not Marvel related. If, if you have access to Disney Plus and you have not watched it yet, seriously, what are you doing? It is awesome that we get like a mini Star Wars movie every Friday. Yeah, it, it's funny because I think as the, as the first episode I talked to you, I'm like, so basically they're taking all of their favorite scenes from Westerns and, and copies. And Samurai and copy and pasting them into Star yep. Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, again, Spoiler warning, but this is basically Lone Wolf and Cub in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, but there's a scene in episode one, which is, it's pretty much straight up the the last scene in Butch Cassidy and Sunnets Kid. Oh, for sure. Where yeah. they, they're they're camped out behind a pillar and they're like, well, we're going to go out there. Yeah, well, and even the opening scene of the first episode, how many Westerns have you seen where the gunfighter walks into a bar and picks oh, a fight? Oh, so many. And I don't even like Westerns. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I was concerned at first about a lead character whose face is always obscured, but the, the more they lean into it, the more I like it. It actually is adding to his character in some interesting ways. Um, the fun thing about a character you cannot see his face, you're projecting yourself onto that. Right. Like, you have no clue what's going on underneath that helmet during some of these scenes, like what emotions are playing across there. So if of course, you project it yourself. You project your own ideas and feelings, and um, and there's some, some scenes where they use that very well, where you have no idea what he's thinking under there, and you get really worried. Yep, yep. And, and oh, what's the actor's name? Pedro Pascal, is that it? I believe so, yeah. Um, he is, his, his voice acting and his body language is good enough that when he needs to be inscrutable, so you have those moments where you're not sure... He is totally unreadable, but then, and with like a one word or with one movement, know what decision he's made. I'm actually going to go ahead and say it. Um, the Mandalorian is like ten times better than Boba Fett. Oh, absolutely, yeah. To the point where people were like, "Well, actually, if you look at what the creators of Clone Wars said, Boba Fett's not actually a Mandalorian. He potentially, yeah, he he's a guy that stole the armor." And I'm like, okay, well. Boba Fett sucks, the Mandalorian rocks. Well, Mango Fett stole the armor. Boba Fett inherited the armor. Okay. But let's be honest. It, he, he, he's a lame pretender compared to the real damn things. Right. He traded on the, the reputation of the Mandos. Yes. Which 
It's surprised um, that someone didn't, didn't take him out before the Sarlacc pit did. Also, um, and this is a, a fairly recent thing as we record this, but uh, the most recent episode, episode three, uh, we got a director cameo. John, or not director, but showrunner cameo. John Favreau plays one of the Mandalorians in in the episode. Is he heavy artillery? He is the the guy with the blue. Okay. Yeah. Um. He's just not the body. Okay. No. The the body is the thug guy from the first episode. Right. The one right. who also mm-hmm. he does some stunt work for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I. Th- um. And what's interesting? They... What's interesting mm-hmm. is uh, I'm blanking on the character's name right now, but John Favreau plays a character with a similar name in Clone Wars. Really? He he also voiced one of the Mandalorians in Clone Wars. And the characters have similar names, so I'm wondering if they're, like, of the same clan or maybe related in some way. Interesting, because, you know, I'm getting the idea that John Favreau is a major Star Wars fan. Oh, for sure. It's to the point where there's a rumor going around, which I don't put much credence in, because let's be honest, um, that John Favreau may be being positioned to replace Kathleen Kennedy. I don't know if he'll replace her, but I could see them bringing him in as like an executive producer or something i don't see it happening because i for one thing i don't see him really giving up being a director sure sure. it seems like the kind Um, of thing he loves right although mandalorian he's sort of doing that role in a smaller scale like he's not directing every episode he's show running he's sort of shepherding the process yeah um so I guess it depends on what else he has lined up and what sort of deal they offer him. But I could see I could see them on him to give the next phase of the Star Wars franchise a little bit of that MCU shine that he can bring. I mean, Mandalorian has been like the most beloved Star Wars new Star Wars thing I think within the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the least controversial but... Star Wars thing. I will always stand Last Jedi, and I don't care who hears it. Um, it is, I, I love that movie a lot, and I didn't hate either of the prequel movies that came out recently. They're not, they're not great, but they're not bad. Yeah, although, um, oh no, Rogue One. I, I really enjoyed Rogue One, although um, Rogue One is fine. Yeah, uh, it was. You can, you can see, you can see where it was re-edited in post. Yeah. Uh, it's funny though because on Twitter the other day, someone tried to claim that. Uh, and apologies to John Wilson, um, that uh, Batman versus Superman was a better movie than Last Jedi. Yeah, no. And, James, you know as well as anyone, I am actually a defender of the DCEU. I, I, am, I enjoy on pretty much every movie that, that Warner Brothers has put out with DC characters. But It's that... why I'm still poisoning you. <laughs> but that said... There is no way that Batman vs. Superman is better than The Last Jedi. No. If for no other reason than just on, on the level of coherence, yeah. The Last Jedi makes more sense. <laughs> Again, I like Batman vs. Superman. It's fine. The extended cut version. <laughs> but even it is far from a perfect movie. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> I mean, Last Jedi made me feel something. I wasn't always happy right. with what happened in it, and I wasn't always happy with what it made me feel, but I watched Batman versus Superman, I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, okay, what time is it? <laughs> okay. Huh. Oh, they did that. Okay. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't buy that comparison at all. And on some level, it's apples and oranges. Like the, the, the movies are different enough in style and genre and all that that it's hard to compare them anyway. But just on the level of craft, I think you have to say that Last Jedi is a technically better. Movie. I suppose. But anyway, that's all. That is a um, very long-winded way of saying that as of this recording, Hellstrom was still happening. And speaking of Hellstrom, um, we're not covering this magazine today, but um, in the most recent issue of Monsters Unleashed, which is number and, three... And by recent, he means November um, 1973. Right, the November 1973, recent to our episode. Yeah, there we go. Um, issue of Monsters Unleashed, uh, Monsters Unleashed 1, number three, features a brief article about... Everyone's favorite hell spawn, the son of Satan. I was about to say, <laughs> I won't be <make> that joke. <laughs> yeah, we we will not invoke McFarlane on this show. Oh no, I was going to mention my daughter. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yeah. So uh, this article is called "The Son of Satan." Uh, sorry, preview. The Son of Satan, article by Carla Joseph, art by Herb Trimpey, and by that they mean they took all the uh, artwork from the first Son of Satan story and just put it in here in black and white. Right. So, this tells us the starling story behind the creation of the Son of Satan. Sort of. In that it's complete bullshit. Yeah, no. They, they recount this uh, this meeting where they decide do a comic called The Son of Satan, which, if you are a regular listener of this podcast, you know that for months they were hyping a comic called The Mark of Satan, which yep. was going to star the this devil was... himself. Right. Until somebody talked Stanley out of it. We believe it was Roy right. Thomas. And, and, and he hinted as much when we talked to him last Yeah. Where it's kind of like, uh, Stan, you, you can't have a book where the lead character is Satan. It's not going to play in the Bible Belt. Oh, all right. Well, uh, how about Son of Satan, then? He can be his kid. Excelsior! Um, was that supposed to be Stanley? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, but yeah, this article, it, it's, it's basically meant to be an advertisement for the, for the then-current Son of Satan storyline. Yeah, and, and really for sort of the second phase of Marvel horror in general, because they ba they make sure to nail Brother Voodoo and Satana as well. Right. Uh, it's fine. The Herb Trimby's artwork looks nice in black and white. It does. It does. Um, the inks uh, really make everything pop. Yep. Um, I find it funny that the demon look a little bit more Kirby-esque in black and white than it did in color. They do. They really do. Um they do look sort of like scrawls, or even like for for some reason, Son of Satan has like jumped into an Etrigan comic. Okay. Like he's somehow arrived in DC's version of Hell. Mm. It's all the same place, boy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's not much to it. Uh, they they mention the recent sort of pop cultural reasons for doing the book, like uh, that they. they refer to it and i don't know if this is uh, roy's idea or not but uh but they refer to the pitch as quote rosemary's baby grown up i imagine it'd be roy's if uh, roy's input yeah 
I could see that. Um, you know, Stan mentions something in a meeting, and it, and then you know, it goes from there. Right, right. Um, and then they they do talk a little bit about uh, Roy and uh, Herb Trimp uh, working together to come up with the basic design for the character. Yes. Which it's it's a good design. It's good. Yeah. It's yeah. gonna, it's gonna um, get messed up over the years. Yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of bad looks over time, including his superhero look. Yep. Yep. Um, anyway, in addition to that, there is only one other thing really worth noting in this magazine, is that technically this magazine launches Mending uh, as a, a featured story. However, the, the story we get this time around is just a reprint of uh, the Savage Tales, black and white. Um, so it's just a reprint of the, the origin. Um, however, at the very end of the magazine, there's another short article about uh, the the creation and progression of the character and how, as of issue number f- so not next issue, but the issue after that of Monsters Unleashed, uh, there will be a new Man-Thing feature with all new stories in black and white. And it is going to be written by Tony Isabella. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so so we have those coming up. Uh, so so... We, we actually will be talking about Monsters Unleashed more going forward. I think next issue has some Frankenstein content, and then as of issue five, it's got Frankenstein and Man-Thing. Right, so we're going to get a little bit more of a robust... Um, uh coverage of this magazine going forward right they're they're moving from so much of the reprints um we it looks like we'll still just be talking about one or two stories per issue but uh but there is going to be more yeah so anyway um we should probably talk about the books that we are going to cover in this episode right uh we have uh for this episode adventures of fear number 18 and we've got marvel team up number 15 Right. And we're going to start off with that Marvel team of issue right after this quick message. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Animals dressed as human beings. Smash, smash, smash. A game for the wild ones, played with the passion of the damn. Jump! Don't ever do that again, Joni. I'll do what I like, King. Do you think I'll let a man put his dirty hands on you? People fleeing for their lives, leaving one hell for another. Escaping from what? From whom? What goes on behind these barbed wires? Who and what do these ferocious dogs guard? And who are these children? 
Where do they come from? To whom do they belong? Before you get yourself excited, King, touch the little boy's face. He's dead. He's dead, I tell you! Fear so real that you can touch it. Terror so sinister that it makes the flesh creep. These are the people who become one with the damned. The rich American on an English vacation. The beautiful girl, decoy for a gang of thugs, more sinned against than sinning. The Swedish artist, who chiseled strange shapes out of stone. And the scientist with a secret, who fought the shape of things to come. I hate your secrets, Bernard. If I were to tell you even a little bit about what you call my secrets, I might be condemning you to death. Why are you doing this? What's it all for? What are you trying to make out of these children? Answer me. Will you answer me? Welcome back to Two of Ideas. My name is James Hickson, and our first issue for this episode is Marvel Team-Up Volume 1, Issue 15. Cover date on this one is November 1973. Writer is Lynn Ween. Artist is Ross Andrew. Inker is Don Perlin. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Glennis Ween. Editor is Roy Thomas. Hey, hey, Trey. Yeah? Do you hear that weird music? Where is that coming from? Yeah, where did you come from? Aha! Ah! I came from the land of radio horror. I'm the host, Dr. Chris, of New England's longest-running horror show. That's great. Please put down the machete. Oh, that's just my microphone. That's not what you're thinking about. Oh. Um, oh. It doubles as a machete and a microphone, so I can, like, you know, podcast and kill innocent, horny teenagers at the same time. So, um, Dr. Chris, do you like horror comics? I do love horror comics. In fact, I think that was how I was introduced to horror in general, was through comics in some way. Okay. That's great. Are you... Yeah, um... Are you familiar with Marvel Team-Up? I am familiar with Marvel Team-Up. In fact, that's how I got introduced to a couple of big-name horror characters in the Marvel Universe, was through Marvel Team-Up, or rather the reprints of them through Marvel Tales. Morbius and Ghost Rider, that... was introduced to me through uh, Marvel Tales, and uh, they were reprinting early issues of Spider-Man. Nice. Um, well, uh, we were about to talk about this this issue of Marvel Team-Up, number 15. Um, it actually is one of the Ghost Rider issues. Um, would you care to join us? I would. In fact, I just recently got to reading the issue, and I have an amazing plot synopsis for you. Fantastic. How convenient. Go right ahead. Okay. Yeah. So this issue of Marvel Team-Up, issue 15, volume 1, If an I Offend Thee, was written by Len Wein, penciler Ross Andrew, and cover artist Gil Kane, Frank Tianco, John Romita, and Gaspar Saladino. Did they really have four artists on the cover? It happens. Okay, just want to make sure. All right, moving on. 
Peter Parker and Mary Jane are out for a date at Madison Square Garden. Peter is still trying to escape his identity as Spider-Man, still recovering from the death of Gwen Stacy. While at the circus, they decide to take in the stunt show of Johnny Blaze the Ghost Rider, who's a stunt cyclist. After his big performance, a new mysterious villain shows up named The Orb, who wants to kidnap Johnny's girlfriend, Roxanne Simpson. Happens to be that the orb actually used to be a partner of her old, uh, her late father, Crash Simpson. He was supposed to get his half of the circus, but a horrible accident which left him disgustingly disfigured, as we see in this issue, unfortunately outed him as the partner and Crash took over. Now he wants the ghost rider, Johnny Blaze, who's the owner of the circus, to hand over his rights of the circus to the orb, otherwise Roxanne's gonna die. Spider-Man happens to be there uh, in the audience when the orb is shining his hypnotic light and Peter escapes to team up with the Ghost Rider to escape Roxanne. Spider-Man, of course, believes that the Ghost Rider is using stereo-style special effects in order to cast his illusions of his uh, uh, flame helmet ghost uh, image, but not realizing that the Ghost Rider is, in fact, a demon-possessed man who made a devil with Satan years ago. Roxanne is saved by Spider-Man and Ghost Rider, but the orb, unfortunately, is crushed, supposedly, underneath the train, never seen again, as Spider-Man swings away to rejoin Mary Jane. So, um, this is, I think, the best Ghost Rider comic we've had in a while. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's really weird the way it just kind of just picks right up where Ghost Rider left off. Yeah. Yeah. Although it'll be interesting to see if that actually gets carried over in the Ghost Rider book. Yeah, because this sort of skips over a lot of the recent stuff and just sort of it, it goes back to here's his origin. This is the basics of what you need to know. Now we're moving on. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I came into the Ghost Rider at this time and I started hunting down when I was an adult a lot of the other issues of Ghost Rider. And I noticed that. This was being written at the time that Ghost Rider Johnny Blaze was still pretty much 100% in control, but in later issues, the Ghost Rider is basically psychopathically uh, dangerous with what he does, and he's cackling jokes of of really, um, you know, Crypt Keeper style. Uh, it's a man on the back roads, you know, hunting down. Um, he, he he's basically encountering like crimes that like Superman used to encounter way back in the 30s. You yeah. know what I mean? Or, or the Incredible Hulk would encounter on his TV series. You know what I mean? It would be a wife beater. It would be like a cult. It would be a, a, a loan shark who's like muscling in on yeah. some poor people. Almost you know, like things like that. Marvel's version of, this, he's almost a like Marvel's guy. version of DC's Spectre or something. Right. And I wonder if the two were influenced by the other person. But like I said, this Ghost Rider is like the one that's in The Champions. He's very much normal. You know what I mean? Because The Champions, I think, were actually being written at this time. We're, we're getting time, close to if it. I'm, we, if we haven't remember. started them yet, but we will. Yeah, be. yeah. I'm trying to remember all the different continuities happening at the time in 1973. I definitely know for fact that Gwen Stacy was just yes. recently killed. To the point where it is kind of poor taste for him to be on a date with Mary Jane. Well, considering he went to go con get consoled by Mary Jane afterwards, and a lot of people believe it was either that or right after the clones, the original clone saga ended that he brought, that him and Mary Jane, you know, did it for the first time. Well, like, this is, at best, three weeks since Gwen Stacy died. Something like and, that. In yeah. universe time. Because we, we've covered right. a handful of Spider-Man comics from right around this time, and they all, to one degree or another, involve him grieving and mourning and obsessing over the death of Gwen Stacy. 
Right. In fact, I have the Marvel team up, uh, the essential Marvel team up right here in front of me. I should have remembered it. Yeah, it's actually uh, issue thirteen, where he teams up with Captain America, which happens the like it, this. Uh, this issue was printed like immediately after the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. 13, 12, yeah, one of these two. 12 or 13 happened right after Gwen was killed because he's near the bridge, he's by the bridge, he's, he's like constantly in mourning. Right. Uh, and besides being haunted by that, he, he also seems very upset about that, that Spider-Man balloon that the kid has at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Which I'd be haunted by that too if I wasn't getting a cut of the profits. Well, Trey, we've covered this. <laughs> um... Marvel gets the profits for all merchandising, and uh, Sony gets box office. And, oh wait, that's no, a different conversation, right? Uh, um, but yeah, it's there, there is a fun thing in here, and that we get our first introduction to the to the orb. Right, this is first and O, first appearance and origin. Yep. Yeah. Very. Uh, and uh, honestly, I'm not. Uh, not saying I'm not a not fan of the orb, but I'm not big enough fan to know when all his appearances is. I only am aware of t- two other appearances, and I don't know if it's the same orb as Drake Shannon guy. Uh, there was the astonishing Spider-Man uh, Wolverine crossover miniseries right. where they kind of go time traveling. Um, he's got like a bat with a bunch of gems in it or something. Um, and then there is, of course, the um, the major Marvel event, uh, Original Sin, which introduced characters like Silk. Right. That is actually Orb 2. That is the second orb. Okay, so that's not Drake showing. So Drake is actually completely and utterly killed by the train in this. He shows up in some other Ghost Rider stuff around the, the 70s, but that's about it. Um, okay. Looks like, there's a web- looks like he also fights Hawkeye. Oh, okay, yeah. so there's an there's a website marvunapp.com or something like that that actually lists every single freaking appearance of the orb, including leading up to Original Sin. Gotcha. Yeah, no, there's a second one who uh, has slightly different powers, I think. Um, but he's in the Astonishing Spider-Man Wolverine. He's in Original Sin. Um, and I think he more recently showed up in Doctor Strange, maybe. This visit, visit what's the word I'm looking for? Visage of the orb with his face all mangled up terrified me as the age of 10. I love that panel. Oh, that is great. Yeah, that's easily like one of the most grotesque things we've seen on the podcast so far. Like, right up yeah. there with, like, the Plug issues where people's faces are melting off. Yeah, right. and in a Marvel team-up comic book, too. Not Ghost Rider's book. <laughs> no, you kind of expect yeah. that in Marvel team-up. You are not expect. you kind of expect that in Ghost Rider and stuff like, well, anything Mike Plug draws. But you're not expecting that in Marvel team-up, which was, you know, drugstore stuff. You bought it in a drugstore when you're sick. And right. You know, I can imagine being high on cough medicine and reading this book and just being scarred for life. Well, because Team Up was all basically one-shots, like, it's it's the ultimate, like, pick-it-up-and-jump-in book. It's not the book for continuity hounds, you know? No. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in terms of, like, continuity and stuff like that, like, it goes back and forth with, like, who Crash Simpson is to Ghost Rider's adopted father, his stepfather, it's his, I mean... Uh, I think in one continuity, someone wrote that it was his real father, and it's like, nope, that's not true, because that would be disgusting, right. considering Roxanne is then, Johnny and Roxanne have children together, and gross. Uh, right. Uh, Roxanne Simpson, by the way, uh, the only actress to ever play her, Eva Mendez, extremely sexy actress. 
This is true. And she's probably one of the best parts of that movie. <laughs> Did you hear what they had to do, to, what they made her do for that movie? No. They had the actress uh, want to fill out more, like go on a like crash cheeseburger and meat diet, meat potatoes diet. Wow. Yeah, because they wanted her to be like, uh, like bustier. Huh. But it's wow. yeah, it's it's just you know, for me, team really was the quintessential. I'm sick, or I'm going on a road trip. Hey, I'm gonna pick up Marvel Team Up and maybe this annual. Yeah, because because it's the sort of thing that, like I said, any kid could just pick up and read because you didn't have to have followed years and years and years right. of stories. It, I think all the Marvel Team Ups were supposed to kind of be that way, with the exception of when they crossed over with uh, Marvel Two and One, which the next issue actually does. Yeah, and but so this this really gnarly like disfiguring accident is surprising and and. It's done well. Like the he takes off that mask and the in the close up, he looks like I don't know, like if you doused Freddy Krueger in kerosene and and let him on fire a second time. The orb, like he's got this, it, he's got this sort of two face look, but like both sides. The are orb has never appeared in live action, correct? No, and he's never appeared on a cartoon either, right? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, it's possible he got referenced somewhere. It feels that feels like something Avengers EMH would have done. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, or like, had the Deadpool animated series happened, I feel like he would have been a Deadpool villain. Or the Ghost Rider series that got canceled on Hulu. This is true. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we've been following the uh, the ongoing chronicles of the canceled Marvel television series. Oh, you mean, like, everything that is not already being made by Disney Plus? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, and Hellstrom. Hellstrom is still happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder how long that's going to last. I mean, they just canceled uh, right. the Runaways, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has pretty much kind of run its course. Right. But you have Ghost Rider on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and again, that was a, a good version of Ghost Rider they had, so... Oh well. Yeah, but I imagine if it when it does go to... When we do get around to MCA, MCU Ghost Rider... That's going to be, you know, uh, the first appearance of a Ghost Rider in that continuity, and they're going to ignore Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ever happening. Maybe, although the existence of another Ghost Rider is canon, because it is it is suggested that a previous Ghost Rider cursed the one that's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, 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 right. Um, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ghost Rider, I think, was just, wasn't he the, 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 the new bad Terminator in Dark Fate? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel okay. Luna. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I did miss something of the ore, by the way. He did appear recently, just recently, in Doctor Strange's Blood in the Ether. Uh, he was one of the villains going after Doctor Strange when he found out that magic in the Marvel Universe had been destroyed. Ah. Uh, yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I like the orb though. He's got a, a fun look. Like he's got. It's almost wacky Silver Age villain, but again, he's got that really grotesque appearance underneath that gives it more of a 70s edge. And plus, his, I like that his leather jacket and basically his whole jumpsuit thing is different enough from Johnny's. Yeah. Because he's got the trim and he's got the white gloves. and it's, He's got big collar, yeah. Right. With the lapels. It, it's a good design. It is. And, uh, you know... He, he's my new old blue eye. Uh, well, <laughs> he, before that was, you know, uh, Ben Grimm. Before that was Sinatra. Right. I mean, I was going to say, I guess the best way you could defeat him is just poke him. 
Who doesn't like who like poke in the eye? <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or throw like throw some eyelashes at him. Ah, I got eyelashes in my eye. <laughs> I, I'm still really disappointed that Spidey did not at some point shout, "Here's web in your eye." <laughs> uh, uh, although I do I do enjoy the the sequence where Spidey is riding alongside Ghost Rider on his own motorcycle. Yeah. God, I would love to know the origins of why they came up with the character the way they did. I mean, Les Dead. I don't even know who Boss Andrew is. Uh, kind of a famous Spider-Man artist. Like, he's a lot of people's favorite Spider-Man artist, in fact. He's a good one. He um, sort of splits the difference between uh, Ditko and Romita God. as far as style. Like, he's got a little more of the gangly, weird poses that Ditko did, but a little more action-y like Romita. So. Yeah. Uh, he he was, the I think, the primary artist on Team Up for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, I like the art in this issue. It, it splits the difference between the grotesque and the superhero nicely it is and funny it, that he's on a date with mary jane in this issue and the next time spider-man will encounter the ghost rider he's on a date with glory grant huh. and you know it's a little bit better ghost rider artwork than we've seen in the actual ghost rider book of this era so yes uh because we, we've noted how some artists just haven't quite figured out how to make ghost rider's head not look like a mask <laughs> like the no- they give him a nose which is or, or you can see his eyes inside the sockets, which makes it look like there's something underneath. What do you guys currently, what do you guys think of the current, what's happening in Ghost Rider right now? And in fact, he has his own book again. Ghost Rider just came um, out. I picked up the first issue. I've not had a chance to read it because I've got a huge stack of things I've just not gotten to. Did you read the Doctor Strange story before that? No, no, I've uh, not been following it. Um, I, I know the, I know a little bit about the Avengers uh, event with the, the, all the Ghost Riders coming together. Okay, so that's Rob Reyes's event. That's also tying into uh, a lot of continuity. <laughs> the Stone Age Avengers, and I'm not even joking, right. which consists of Odin, the original Starbrand, the original Iron Fist, which was a woman, the original Black Panther, the mammoth riding Ghost Rider, so the original Ghost Rider, and the original Bearer of the Phoenix, wow. who was in a relationship with Odin. Um, that's all tied into that. Okay. However, over at Strange's book, and yeah, they're all still tied together, there was a storyline called Hell, uh, Damnation Hell or something like that, where Mephisto brought Hell to Las Vegas. That's and fun. it was up to Doctor Strange and, like, the Marvel Knights, basically, to stop him. And in the end, Johnny Blaze became King of Hell. Okay. I, but, I've, I've heard something of that. Which, uh, which is a job that Ghost Riders have had before. I think Danny Ketch was the, the ruler of hell for a little Was it Danny Ketch or was it the guy Noble Kale? Um, yeah. You, you might be right. Because I've be always right. questioned, how the hell did Johnny... Here's the big question I've always had. Johnny wasn't Ghost Rider after the end of this series. Then Danny becomes Ghost Rider. Then Johnny becomes like a cyborg, loses his family. Then... They cancel all the Ghost Rider books because they're just badly written and not selling anymore. Then all of a sudden, Johnny is an accountant and Ghost Rider. He's working in an accountant agency trying to hide his identity. Because even when his, one of his employees is like, hey, aren't you the stunt cyclist Johnny Blaze? And he's like, shh, go away. No one's supposed to know that. He's Ghost Rider again, but no <laughs> explanation. How the hell is he Ghost Rider? 
Yeah, and and suddenly he has catches powers. He has like the right. Stare they have and all never that explained. I've read almost every issue of Ghost Rider that I can probably think of. They never explained how the hell is he Ghost Rider again after they canceled the volume two, the Danny run, and then started that miniseries in the Marvel Knights. And then that right. ended at the six issues, and then they did the one where Mark Textor came back to draw the covers and interior when the movie was coming out, which was basically Marvel's being like, hey, there's a Ghost Rider comic. Right. Well, and even because they went back and finally did a final issue of the, the catch run, because for some reason they never actually gave that story an ending, but even that final issue didn't really explain it. Right. 100% correct. So, yeah, I, I don't have answers. All I know is that Ghost Rider continuity is real weird. And we're going to get to all of it, which is good, because I think yep. you guys lost me somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, um, we got lost in our own subs. I'm having the same, like, de- I, I, I threw the same question at, like, Donny Cates, who currently writes Venom, and being like, uh, excuse me, at what point did Venom learn Peter's identity again? Because of the events of One More Day, nobody knows Peter's identity other than who he has shared it with. Right. Or they have forced it out of somebody, a la... Norman Osborn got it out of J. Jonah Jameson, and Doc Ock took over Peter's body. Right. But other than that, and Mephisto or Thanos, who don't really give a shit about secret identities, nobody knows who Peter is in his rogues gallery, let's just say. Sure. But Venom all of a sudden, in absolute carnage, is calling him Peter, and you're like, when did this happen? And I've read every single issue of Venom and Spider-Man. I can th- and Donnie's like, who cares about continuity? Stop bugging me with these questions. If, if, and I'm like, oh. If they wanted to bother with an explanation, they could say that it's because Venom was once bonded to Peter. And so even with the magic and everything else, that that experience of having been bonded still links them. My only thought is that the costume went back to Peter temporarily um, in a story that happened in the crossover between Amazing and Venom, and maybe the symbiote picked up on Peter's identity and told Brock. Brock was like so far past his vendetta with Peter that it didn't really matter, but he held on to it. Yeah. But even Peter doesn't even say anything like, "How the hell do you know?" You know, nothing like that. Right. He just takes their at a diner. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, because even the symbiote was affected by the One More Day magic, which was. I mean, let's face it, it was retconned to be responsible because of Doctor Strange using a spell. Right, right. So it wasn't entirely a deal with the devil, but we need to have our cake and eat it too. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. the, that's because the in-universe explanation, like the even like the explanation that Peter remembers is that Doctor Strange did it. But really, it's Mephisto. Except for when he went to, when Dare, when devil killed him and he went to hell, and Mephisto was just like, is there something you're trying to remember, Peter? Is there something in the back of your head? Something that you've been thinking about all the time. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole scene between Mephisto and Peter. Like, Mephisto remembers. I mean, (laughs) right, right. Uh, It's sort of like when, uh, when weird multiversal crossovers happen and, like, the characters like Deadpool remember things and no one else does. But, you know, that's, we're going to see that in MCU eventually. Oh, sure, sure. Where, oh, you know... Mephisto? Yeah, um, I can't wait for them to do a proper Mephisto and it not just be like a dude in a leather jacket in the cemetery or the, you know, whatever. Whatever Johnny, uh, Nicholas Cage made his deal with Peter Fonda. Right. Henry well, Fonda? I mean, Peter, yeah. Fonda. Peter Fonda's dead, so they can't get him back. <laughs> right. Um, Soon? No, 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 that's fine. But I, I just couldn't remember if it was Peter or Henry Fonda that played uh, Mephisto. Mephisto off the Oh, yeah. P- Peter, Peter Fonda. Fonda. Um, 
because they're standing right in front of the Easy Rider motorcycle. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, because, you know, you can't be too on the nose. No, not with, like, Nicolas Cage <laughs> hamming it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the the Marvel uh, team up issue goes, I, I thought this was fun. It was, it was a little again more superhero-y than we're used to because it's mostly a Spider Man issue. But it also has some of the best Ghost Rider stuff that we've seen in a while. Lately, even Ghost Rider's solo appearances have felt more like other characters' books. So this is just sort of par for the course. And, and again, it's it's the best Ghost Rider we've read so far. So yeah, it. it it hits all the beats you'd want Ghost Rider to hit. It's yeah. Um, there's no yeah. steak dance. There's no witch woman. Nope. Um, there's there's no uh, son of Satan. Even. It's just seventies weirdness, and it, it 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 hits all my switches, you know. And also, you know, we actually have Ghost Rider doing motorcycle stunts, which it had been so long, I had almost forgotten that Ghost Rider actually had a day job. Uh oh yeah cuz he again he owns the uh the the circus which again is not a plot in any continuity going on right now. In fact, Roxanne and the kids kind of disappeared and Johnny was supposed to go looking for them and God only knows what they've done with that. I think I just don't think writers remember it. Yeah. But even like like Ghost Rider's solo book um in in continuity had just started not long before this issue of Team Up came out and the 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 stunt show and, and his involvement in it has barely come up in that, which is Yeah, like, wild. I think the last issue we read, he was going off into the desert to try to save Roxanne. Right. Maybe. And that was right, right. after he found out that uh, Danny was his brother. No. No, no, we're talking about the stuff we're reading right now. We're, we're back in the 70s. Yeah, oh, so Dan, oh, Danny oh gotcha. Well, this happened again in, like, the, the, the 90s book, so. Okay. I mean, well, I, I guess there's only so many stories you can tell with, with Blaze. <laughs> And as long as long as Snake Dance is in there, we'll be okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, guys, this has been fun. I'm gonna fade back into the darkness with my motorcycle. Well, before you go, where can people find you? Right, they can find me in the nether regions of hell in Worcester, Massachusetts, on Sunday night at 10 p.m. till the witching hour, where I worship Satan on my motorcycle. <laughs> And uh, on RadioHorror.wordpress.com, Radio Horror on Facebook, and then all the podcasts I do are on RadioHorror.com. So the radio show website is RadioHorror.wordpress.com. The podcasts are on RadioHorror.com. And then the, my show is Sunday night, 10 p.m. Podcasts are sprinkled throughout the month whenever I have a chance to get them uploaded. Very cool. And uh, as our, our episode will be going up on Wednesday, so as people are listening to this, you can check out our appearance on goth girl horror at the end of the week yes you can come yes yes these gentlemen uh join me in the graveyard to talk about uh tim seeley's creation cassie hack and and it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh please do uh check out uh horror and all the other great uh shows uh, over at uh radio horror that's right absolutely thank you gentlemen for allowing me to come on to your podcast And he, I think he's gone.
Where did he get a motorcycle? Where did he come from? That's just solid wall right there. How did he get a motorcycle in here, let alone out of here? Also, <coughs> I don't think that thing is EPA certified. No, um, I'm, I'm going to set up some fans, and, and let's take a break, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. together and paint it and you have a realistic model of Kong fighting the giant snake. Or for a real challenge, build King Kong on top of the Twin Towers. When you're finished, they make a great addition to any kid's room. King Kong model kits come complete with easy-to-follow picture instructions by Miko. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Our next issue for today is Adventures into Fear, number 18, featuring Man-Thing. Cover date is November 1973. The writer is Steve Gerber. Art by Val Merrick. Inks are by Sal Trapani. The letterer is Artie Simic. The colorist is Linda Lessman. And the editor is Roy Thomas. Drunk salesman Ralph Sorrell drives north from Miami to Tampa in the middle of a late-night storm, zigging and zagging along the highway. From the shadows, the man-thing watches, as suddenly Sorel's car strikes a southbound bus head-on. One by one, a handful of survivors climb free the wreckage. Mary Brown, a soldier named Jim Arsdale, and student Holden Crane. A boy, Kevin Kennerman, still trapped under the debris of the bus but Mary and Jim are unable to free him. The Man-Thing, sensing their desperation, emerges from his hiding place and gently pulls Kevin free. It hands the boy to Mary and departs. The soldier then turns to Holden, the student, and demands to know why he didn't help them. Holden insists that he refused on philosophical grounds because he is opposed to life. Just then, Ralph Sorrell emerges from each of his own car, and despite Jem's objections that he's the one who killed their fellow passengers, Mary goes to help him. Jem smells the alcohol on his breath, but Mary holds him back, and Holden comments on how one man is drunk on power, and the other on alcohol. Deciding that the boy, Kevin, needs a doctor, they decide to enter through the swamp and to the nearest town. Soon, they're at each other's throats, as Holden criticizes Jem for being a soldier, and Mary for being the commotion rouses a large snake, which prepares to strike at Mary, but she's saved again by the Man-Thing, who slams the snake into a tree. With that, the group decides to find somewhere to rest. As they talk, Ralph recognizes Jem as a returned POW, and accuses him of being a war criminal. Enraged, 
Jem begins beating Holden, angrily insisting that nobody is a pacifist, but Holden refuses to fight back. The others restrain him, and Holden explains to Mary all the ways that he feels the country as a whole is self-destructing. The group resumes their trek, but meanwhile, at a farmhouse near the town, Jennifer Kale has a sudden, terrifying vision, which will go unexplained until the next shoe. Back at the edge of the swamp, near the construction site, Ralph snaps and pulls a gun, realizing that if they are successful in reaching the town, he will end up in jail. He shoots Holden dead, and next turns his gun on Mary. Jem attacks him from behind. Struggle, Ralph shoots him as well. Drawn by the fear and rage of the fight, Man-Thing emerges again. Ralph grabs a flamethrower from the construction equipment and ignites Man-Thing. However, the creature quickly regenerates and resumes its pursuit. Man-Thing strikes Ralph, and he falls dead among broken and empty bottles. Construction workers are drawn by Mary's voice, and they take her and Kevin to safety as the Man-Thing returns to the swamp. So, this is a really good issue. It is. It's, um, it's a very Eve Gerber issue. Right? It's, it's, it's a little preachy. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got Vietnam POW lecturing, you've got the college student lecturing, everybody kind of gets a chance to do some lecturing. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because Steve Gerber really doesn't take a side here. No, well, if anything, he takes Mary's side. Right, it's like, hey, can you guys just somewhere else, we're just trying to live a life here. Well, and, and, and it's, it's the side of just pure compassion. Like, she's the one who even is willing to help the drunk driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it, it's fitting that her profession is being a nurse. Yes. The, the kind of caregiver as, as sympathetic character. Right. Um, I find it interesting that they progress the drunk driver from just being a drunk driver to just being a cold-blooded killer. Yeah, like, where did he get that gun? Uh, you know, that was a good question. That might have come in handy during the part of, like, the right, same. Right, right. They're lucky he didn't pull the gun off thing at the beginning. Exactly. He wasted all his bullets. Although, apparently the construction crew has learned their lesson from fighting thing. Yeah, they just stay away. Oh, no, they have a flamethrower. Well, true. I figured that was for Rush. I suppose that's possible. Actually, that, that has made more sense. But yes, I mean, this is very clearly the same construction crew who had previous man thing um, when their foreman was killed. Right, even reference the fact that, hey, that guy killed our foreman. Right. And Mary, being the, the sympathetic character, says, then your foreman must have been a very evil man. Yeah. I don't think they're going to react too well to that description. But, you know, the artwork is good. Um, yeah, um, I am going to be annoyed by Jennifer Kale only appearing in one-page cameos. Yeah. It's like, hey, the boarding cast is still here. Just, and the the nerve of, in a caption box, saying that we'll find out next issue. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Enjoy this little, this little passion play or melodrama right now. We'll come back with actual story later. Uh, but I like the art. The, the, the art in the issue is good. Yeah, the, the, I particularly like the big splash page on page two and three um, with the, the, the car and the bus colliding. Yeah, where it's spread across both pages. 
Yeah, and that's run really well. Uh, you weren't expecting yeah. the death of 50 people first thing a book, but there it is. Right, and I like how it's sort of over. You're looking over a little bit, so he's in the he's in the panel, but he's not the focus of the panel. Right, it's it, it's good stuff. It is, um, and I also like uh, the bit where Man Thing fights the snake. It's a little bit of a throwback to those early uh, Man Thing pages where he fights the alligator. True, and he's gonna just use like a whack, whack, whack. It, yeah, it also kind of reminds me of, this issue is too early for it to be a reference to this, but it reminds me of the 1976 King Kong movie, where King gets a giant okay. snake. Uh, again, this comes too early for it, for it to be referring to that, but the, the, the imagery is similar. Yeah, I, I watched that one. I watched a documentary about all the Kongs in cinema. I remember they made, they that one's very... Um, Noteworthy because they made that huge animatronic Kong for that one. Oh yeah, the one that didn't work. Yeah, an Oscar. Yep, that movie got an Oscar for putting Rick Baker in a monkey suit <laughs> because mo- they they advertised it on this really complex, expensive animatronic Kong, which is visible for all of one scene and it can barely move, and the rest of the movie is Rick Baker in a gorilla suit, which kind of. Um... Spits in the face of Harry Guys. And Willis O'Brien. Yeah, it's like, oh, you put on all this work on making these very intricate stop-motion masterpieces? Um, here's got a monkey suit. Give us an Oscar. Yeah, well, and I will say, it's a very well-made monkey suit. Like, it, it is it is better than the Toho version of Kong. I should hope so. Um, and it's better than the sequel, uh, King Kong Lives. Okay. Um, which, which, uh, it was because the 76 movie got a sequel, which is terrible. It, it's bad. Um, and it, it has worse special effects. Yeah, the 76 Kong is not great. It, it's, it's dated, um, like it's very much, uh, rooted in the 1976, uh, like oil and gas shortage. It's amazing how many things are rooted in that, of that age. Um, Jeff Bridges is fine. Uh, Charles Grodin is in it. He's always good. Uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine actor Rene Aubergenois is in it. I love him. He's great. Um, but overall, it's it's not... It is probably my least favorite of the Kong adaptations. <laughs> um, but the, this, this issue of fear reminded me of it. Yeah. It's a... I mean, it's a, mor- it's a morality play. It is. It also feels like a throwback to the earlier Man-Thing comics in that you have human drama and Man-Thing intervenes. Right, and I'm wondering if that's kind of like a swing back from Wondar, last issue. Mm. And we should probably talk about this, because I actually found out recently uh, I'll read books Slugfest inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC um by reed tucker they talk about how uh, they talk about wondar and how he was a superman pastiche and apparently they did not dig that sort of man at the dc offices um they were not happy with with it (laughs) to the point where they complained to stan lee and steve almost lost his job yeah um so and i read a little bit about this too apparently roy thomas um said 
that he had told Gerber before the book went to print that the character needed to be modified, but that Gerber did not comply. Wow. They reached an agreement with DC. DC said they could con- that Marvel could continue telling stories with the character, but they had to make enough changes that he no longer looked like Superman. And in a late interview uh, before he passed away in, in 2006, Gerber suggested he had already been planning to make those changes. He just wanted that first issue where he appeared to be the Superman pastiche. Yeah, that makes sense. I, and it's funny because, you know, if DC got away, we would never would have gotten Howard the Duck. Right, right. Um, but see, it's funny because I, I was sort of taken aback by the look of Wondar in that issue we looked at last time because... When I think of Wondar, I think of Wondar the Aquarian with, like, the Jesus hair and the all-white kind of robe-looking costume. Yeah. Oh, I, I may have blocked it off in my memory, which is funny because I must have recently read it, but whatever. Um, and it's... <laughs> okay, I just found it. it. It's definitely an interesting choice for an era where disco is out already definitely on its way out yeah he's he's somewhere between flower power and disco yeah but slugfest was an interesting read uh the russo brothers are making a documentary out of it that'll be interesting to watch yeah i look to the russo brothers output the problem i have with slugfest and i know we're all topic i apologize i'll just cover is it seemed to me that the author had a clear Marvel bias. I mean, that I could see that. I've not read it, but I could see that. It's, and he even makes a point at the end, like, hey, you know, everybody has their bias. And like, yeah, but yours is kind of written all over this book. It's I, I haven't read that one yet. I enjoy the uh, Untold History of Marvel. That's a um, great one. I read, I read that back-to-back with Grant Morrison's Super Gods, which which makes for a, makes for a really good pairing. Okay. I still need to read Super Gods. It's good. It's good. You get his, you get Grant Morrison's philosophy on the uh, the classic DC characters, especially um, his sort of ideas about Superman tick versus Batman, that sort of thing, as well as some interesting stories about his time doing the X Men for Marvel. Uh, but anyway, about this Man Thing issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, lots of human stuff. Man-Thing just sort of appears on the periphery of a lot of it. Uh, he, but he plays a critical part. He does. So it's, he, it's not like one of those stories where he might as well not have even been in a story at all. He does play a part. And he's kind of... He's almost like a giant shambling mood ring. Because presence always signifies fear and anger and distress. Which, you know, things that trigger him, as we know. Right. Right, so I'm saying because he's drawn to those things, like his appearance always is an indication of what is going on emotionally in the story. Okay. Uh, I do really like, uh, it doesn't have as much detail as I would like, but I like the idea behind the bit where his head gets set on fire and he, he regenerates over a few panels. Yeah, that, that was really good, where you're like, oh, is this the man thing? No. No, it's not. Right. And we we get an idea of just how resilient he is. Right. Um, it even says that that Ralph had the right idea using the fire, but it would have had to be applied continuously to do any real damage. Yep. So that was fun, I think. Yeah. Uh, the, 
the death of Ralph was a little bit of a cop-out. I wanted him to get burned by the Man-Thing's touch. I nailed on a broken bottle of 86 proof. Right. Which, you know, he killed 50 people because of drinking. Now he died on a broken liquor bottle. Right. It's on the nose. Just do it. But again, with with a morality story like this, it's got to be on the nose. That's the point. Yes. It's also worth noting... um, at least one of the writers of the letters page complains about the occult storylines in Man-Thing. Yeah, it's the the top of the middle column. Um, It's a letter from Brian Earl Brown, and and he says, As for the story, I'm tired of this occult invasion story. I was tired of it even before it started. It seems to me that you're avoiding the problem of Man-Thing confronting the rest of the world. Which... It's funny, because that occult invasion storyline was what gave us the Kales. Yeah. And that's the thing that I am desperate for the book to get back to. Uh, I like He mentions our old pal, um, Superman. Like Superman, he appears when he's needed, and he saves the world did again. But that kind of formula, that's the kind of formula that comics have long since outgrown. Isn't the entire Mon- Marvel calling that of the following the hero through both the ordinary and extraordinary parts of his life to see how they balance and relate? From going through this issue, I can only conclude that you don't know how to characterize the man thing and are just a little afraid to try. Um, well, I think he's sort of missing the point that the man thing doesn't have... No, that, exactly. Ordinary. Like, there is no ordinary... Like, like the characters that were introduced in the storyline are... Right, you know, something like he doesn't put life. on glasses and become Ted Salas. Right, and, and he doesn't get the time the rest of the month like Werewolf by Night does. Right. Although, now I'm imagining, like, what do you... What do you think of this man thing, Ted? <laughs> I'm picturing man thing in like a Clark Kent trench coat and a little hat and glasses and a tie. Oh, he has to have a necktie. Yeah, yes. there you go. <laughs> Who could he be, really? <laughs> no, Ted, it's so strange. Whenever a man thing's around, you're nowhere to be seen. Wink at the camera. Right? <laughs> Please, somebody who, who listens to the show and has a, any drawing capacity, draw this for us, please. Yes. <laughs> Adventures into the mundane, starring men thing. Oh. Oh. Like, I, I would read a comic about men thing 9 to 5. <laughs> uh. So, this was a good issue. This was, I think, better than the last Man-Thing issue we had. Yeah, I mean, Wondar was fun, but this... Wondar was goofy. It was fun, but it was goofy. This was Yeah, this was definitely the... Gerber really has some steam now. Yeah, and he's getting, again, sort of philosophical, quasi-political niche that sort of becomes known for. Right, and eventually we're going to see that steam explode in a big way, and I'm... Really looking forward to it. Uh, Me too. But I, I think... Um, let me look back at my notes here. Um, I think I've said just about all I have to say about Adventures into Fear number 18. So have I, which means I guess that's it for this episode. Yeah. Um, we had fun comics, uh, which is, is great. It's always nice when they're all good. And it's always nice when we get a guest on the show. Yeah. Even an unexpected one. Right. So uh, thanks to Dr. Chris for coming in and giving us that summary and, and 
additional conversation for Marvel Team Up. Right. And Trey, what are we covering next episode? Looking ahead to next time, we have three issues coming up. Tomb of Dracula, number 14. uh, Frankenstein, number 7. And Werewolf by Night, number 11. So, kind of our big three These are the the classic Marvel monsters right here. Yeah, you know, well, really the classic Marvel monsters. I I would argue that if we're going to classic Marvel monsters, it would be Dracula, Morbius, Man... No, no, it'd be Man Thing, Ghost Rider, Morbius. Yeah, like you know the guys on our cover. Morbius counts. Those, as far as as far as originals, characters that are not either public domain or derived from other characters. Right. So we're going back to, to the Universal Horror Trio. Yeah. yeah. These are these are your classic. You call them the the uh, late night creature feature monsters. There we go. And you know we love a late night creature feature here at the tomb. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, that's what we've got coming up. But, James, where can people find us? Well, I was just going to say, they can always reach out to us at our email address. That's tombofideas at gmail.com. You, of course, reach us on our Twitter, at tombofideas. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash tombofideas. Or you can find us on our website. Uh, that's, of course, on the Cinepunks website. Uh, where we are a proud member of the Cinepunks podcast group. And I, we especially want you to reach out if you do do that man thing art for us, because, oh my God, I want to see that. Yes, please. I, I would I would love to see... Uh, I would love to see our listeners' best interpretations of 9 to 5 man... Th- Better than Ted Salas. Right. <laughs> but still as a shambling swamp monster. <laughs> yes. The mild-mannered man thing. Yes. Um, and so... Uh, once again, we're part of the Cinepunks podcast group. That's x.com, Cinepunks with an X. Um, you can check out some of our great uh, fellow podcasts. Fight Stuff is about to launch their next episode. Um, there's the main Cinepunks podcast. There's Horror Business. Uh, new, a new show just launched, Fat Girl Hacks. Um, so we've got plenty of uh, different voices and ideas and topics to choose from. So check out Cinepunks.com and give them a listen. Definitely. And until next time, wink at camera. (laughs) Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tomb of Excelsior. (laughs) Ha 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 